you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. Today, I'm excited to welcome as my guest, Adam Kefaber. I'm going to let him tell you his title because it's so impressive. (laughs) But let me tell you why Adam is my guest. There are certain professions that people go into where they feel like they give themselves that title and then they feel like they're stuck in that box. And when I first met Adam several years ago, he was a journalist, a reporter. And he was thinking... I'm a young guy. I'm doing this. I like it. But I think I want to be doing something bigger or more. And so Adam's story is, I think, so instructive for those people who are who feel stuck inside of a profession, who feel that the tag of their profession is attached to them and that's all they will be. So as you, as you know, journalism has gone through a lot of changes. And so Adam's really forward-thinking about both himself and his profession, helped him realize that he needed to kind of do a pivot and figure out different ways to use his skills that might be called something different. And so Adam was my client several years ago. And it really is one of my favorite career stories because we can all learn so much from how he tackled this and decided to take a pivot and call himself something else. So welcome, Adam. Hey, thank you for having me. Yeah. So back when you and I met, you were a kind of a local kind of doing community reporting, community mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess to backtrack, um, you know, went to Ohio University, um, went to uh, work at CNN in Atlanta, um, and then came to Cincinnati, which was at the Inquirer. We met about um, six years ago. Okay. Um, and I, it was basically because I, I, I came to the determination that I needed to make a change. Um, and basically, you know, I almost, I almost feel like it's like that example of like when you go to college and the dean and president's up there and he says, look to your left and look to your right. One of you is not going to graduate. Now, imagine that happening about four or five times, you know, a year, but it's layoffs, (laughs) right? right? So, you know, journalism, you know, when I was in it, it was right before the recession, during the recession and after and it was it was a tough time to be in journalism. I always recommended if you wanted to do it, you better be passionate about it. You better love it. You better just be willing to deal with all of what it comes with. Yeah. And you know, for me, um, I, I I I lost that passion, and largely it was because of that environment. You know, not having that stability. Um, you mentioned being kind of younger. You know, I had a I had my son, so I was kind of a young parent. You know, I couldn't see the future. You know, I didn't know what you know. I didn't know what the next move was going to be. And honestly, probably wouldn't have been too excited for it if I did. And um, so, so when you find yourself in that position where um, you don't love it anymore, it's time to go. So is that? It sounds like you know being in those environments where. Um everybody's being laid off and the lack of stability and you're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. It sounds like that just wore you down mm-hmm. until you got to that, your own personal kind of career tipping point where you said, it's now, it, it's got to be now, right. no time like the present. So that started largely a little before the recession hit. And so that's about 20, uh, 2007. Mm-hmm. And then um, really what happened to me was probably like early 
2014, you know, so seven years down the road of going through that. Um, sure. Yeah. It took its toll. Um, also, you know, you had these, every, with every job you have established relationships. So I, I felt like I had a great relationship with uh, the publisher of the newspaper, as well as the editor changes were made. And then, you know, my positions change and I found myself in a role that I didn't really necessarily like doing. And that was mainly working on the breaking news desk. Um, so then you kind of chasing scenes and you're, you're, you know, you're trying to get there first, you know, to cover life's most horrible events, you know, yeah. shootings and, and, uh, sure. you know, buses turning over. So, you know, I probably reached that low point, uh, Probably one day I remember actually going to a crime scene and I was actually, I was first, not just the first, you know, you always talk about being first to report it, but before the police and before. Oh my. Yeah. So like I, you know, I find myself with, again, I'm getting kind of dark here. I didn't realize it's a dark podcast, but. Um, <laughs> Those you know, crime podcasts yeah. are very popular. But yeah. So, you know, it had been a time where like I kept seeing things, like I kept seeing, you know, homicides and dead bodies and things like that. And. Um, one in particular, I remember going to the scene, I was first there. Um, and it just, it just, it just is like a burning image. Mm -hmm. And then I get to the office to write my story up. And later in the day, I get the picture from, from the police. It looked nothing like the person I saw earlier that day. And I kept thinking about all those things that happened, you know, all the, all the horrible things I had seen and, um, just realized this doesn't feel like the, what I should be doing. And mm -hmm. I don't, and add to that job stability the the pay's not great um so it's probably and how old were you so i was probably about 33 okay. 32 um and it was probably a week after the kind of that moment of kind of like all of, all of the layoffs all these things happening where gannett across all of its newspapers decided to uh put us all in a position where we had to reapply oh, for yeah. our jobs oh yeah so <laughs> it's always a popular one. Yeah. Yeah. So there'd be like, you know, just for an example, could maybe there's a hundred spots and there was 150 before. So you could apply for your old job or you could provide, or you could apply for one of your colleagues jobs. Um, and I remember, I don't know who I told, or it might've been multiple people that I could trust, but I just said, I, at that point I was like, I'm not going to apply for any of them because I don't want to apply for my job because I hate it. And I'm not going to apply for somebody else's job because I like them too much and I don't want to have that on my conscience. So I found myself, you know, that's when I reached out to you and I was like, I need to invest in myself yes. and figure out the next move. Yes. So so a couple key points there. It's, um, yes, it is an investment. And I love that word because here you are 33 years old saying, okay, if the average person works until, let's just say 63, that's 30 more years of this. Mm -hmm. And that had to be a pit in your stomach. And sometimes it's those things that make you say, enough, you know, sort of cry uncle and say, I can't do it anymore. So here you were. Now, what is your, let's skip ahead, then we're going to go backwards. Okay. What's your title right now? Okay. So I'm head of corporate uh, and executive PR at FIS. Um, and for for those who don't know, FIS used to be called WorldPay, which used to be called Vantiv, which used to be part of Fifth Third Bank. Okay. Um, when it was Vantiv, it was the number one payment processor in the U.S. And then when we acquired WorldPay, it was the number one payment processor in the world. Now, last year, FIS acquired us, and now we're the, we consider ourselves the largest fintech in the world. So you are the largest fintech, yeah. financial technology solution, yep. processor, provider, and you are, say it again. 
I'm head of corporate and executive PR. And that makes me happy. <laughs> I mean, I think going from literally reporting on breaking homicides to that role is incredibly impressive. And it's it's interesting. So I was listening to you talk about you get these calls to go out to these crime scenes. Mm-hmm. And so you were literally in react mode. Mm-hmm. You could do nothing to influence anything around you. Mm-hmm. You could only tell the story of what had already happened. Mm-hmm. Now, it's the primary skill set, I would think, one of your primaries is is strategic, as mm-hmm. being a strategic communicator. So thinking ahead, thinking big picture, mm-hmm. which is about a 180 turn from what you were doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know that we've talked about this before. You hear the phrase storyteller uh, shared quite a bit in, in journalism, um, in marketing, communications. Everyone's now a storyteller. Um, and when I was a reporter before I did breaking news, um, I was able to pick my stories. I was able to determine what you know I thought my audience needed to hear. So I kind of viewed myself more as a communicator back then, um, and that's that's essentially what we are now. You know, if if I'm a reporter and I'm doing my job well, I should be communicating what I think my audience needs to know to be safe or to do whatever they need to do. Um, you know, if I'm the CEO, I need to communicate to my employees so they can do the best job they can do. Or if I'm a head of sales, I need to communicate to my clients so that they're successful. Um, I'm not telling them a story. You know, I don't, I shouldn't have to. So I think for me, the whole breaking news and just reaction role yeah. was not a good fit. Yeah. Um, and I think overall, once I got into corporate, once I started to be able to own strategy you know, to investigate things in a different way, you know, not just investigate the thing that I have to investigate that's right in front of my face, um, I was able to thrive and um, I enjoyed it. And I got that passion back, you know, as far as what my career should be. So your first job after after you decided, you know what, I'm not going to apply for any of these jobs. I need to figure the next thing out. And so what was that, that first transition job into this new path you've taken? Yeah, I mean... I found myself in a position where I had two great opportunities in front of me, and I ended up choosing um, a, an opportunity to work in the marketing and communications department at First Financial Bank. Okay. Um, and I remember the interview, actually. I showed up extremely early. Okay. Because I was so, like, I need <laughs> to get out of here. Bodies. Yeah, I'm, I'm a little desperate, maybe, in my mind at this point. Um, very prepared. And, um, you know... The, the people I was interviewing with, I think they still hadn't had their coffee yet. So okay. <laughs> they, they were like, we're issuing this press release. Um, y- y- can you take a look at this while oh we, get, while we get um, our coffee? So they come back with their coffee and um, let's, I, I don't know if my pen was red, but the, the whole page looked completely different. <gasps> oh my gosh. And I was like, you shouldn't do this. You should do this. You know, I found myself, you know, you know, I had been pitched before as as a journalist. I had been getting press releases. And anyone who reads a press release, I don't, I don't recommend you picking that up for like your Sunday reading, but it's usually, you, you usually have no idea what they're talking about. They're not communicating it well. It sounds like either it's a cross between marketing junk or, you know, it's it's also maybe just too technical okay. for anyone to understand. Okay. So, you know, the press release itself wasn't bad. It just had a lot of recommendations. And I think they both, the people that I had been interviewing that day were, were you know, appreciative. And they were like, okay, we wow, can really I use somebody that. like this. Yeah. Okay. So at that point on, 
Um, when I was there, I did a lot of um, internal communications, crisis communications, obviously public relations, media relations. Um, I even um, actually um, worked on building the new their, their consumer-facing website. So I was essentially in charge of digital marketing. So I had a lot of different hats on. Um, and, uh, it was a great opportunity. Man, that's, I mean, that's, it's sort of like, uh, you know, that's like just in time, kind of like do this. I mean, you have the opportunity, you've got to, and in your field, you have to think fast mm -hmm. and you have to be able to react fast. And there's no better way to do that than to actually be able to show it right in the interview. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. yeah, so that's fantastic. And so from there, so when you're good at something, they give you more of it to do. Yep. And it sounds like they found different ways to use you that helped you really grow kind of well beyond that narrow path you'd been following. Yeah, I think sometimes, you know, some maybe some former colleagues of mine, you find yourself where you think you're really only good at one thing mm -hmm. and you not necessarily want to stretch or challenge yourself to do something different. Um, it's easier to to just say yes and try it as opposed to if you say no, then you can't really get that opportunity back. Um, so I think, you know, with that, you, you prove yourself and you can continue to. So do you think that's why? I mean, because I've, I have talked to other journalists mm. who would love to get out of it, but they are so locked into their self-perception. Mm -hmm. And I mean, is that is that something that am I am I reading that right? But it seems like one of those professions where people they just can't get out of that box they have their head in. Right. Is that your experience with your colleagues? Yeah, I mean, and I think you know it better than most. You've worked with a lot of journalists and and you know done what you've done for a long time. And it's pretty simple. You know, the first step was networking and getting to know people who've done it and what who did made they, the change? Who made the change and what did they do? Um, and then also recognizing those transferable skills, yeah. you know, as a journalist, you don't know what's coming at you necessarily when you wake up that day and you have to figure it out. Um, that skill is is pretty rare in yeah. the corporate world. You know, usually if you, you, get, you could tell because, you know, anyone who's in, the, in it will notice when someone can't figure it out, they just CC more people. <laughs> So, I love that. <laughs> yeah. So like it's just this continuation of like not it, not it, not it. Um, whereas you have that ability to step in and claim it. And people really respect that. And I think, um, you know, you can't sell yourself short, you know. And I think sometimes I also notice like if you're a really exceptional writer and maybe that's what you want to do. Maybe that's where you thrive and you try to maybe get a corporate job too. You know, in addition to maybe journalism, you don't don't charge your journalism, you know, freelancer rates, you know, because the corporate would pay for your services if you're really if you're really good at it. Yeah. So don't sell yourself short. Meet, know your transferable skills and know how to sell it. Yeah. And it's you know, it's it's funny how there's something about trying to figure out and identify what your transferable skills are on your own. That's really challenging because all of us or most of us, have been taught to be humble, not brag. and But that doesn't mean, uh, and, and I agree with that in general, but that doesn't mean don't own the things that you're really good at. Yeah. Identify and own what are the things you're good at and you want to do more of. Mm -hmm. And what are the things that you're maybe just okay at or not great at and don't want to do more of. And even if you just start with two columns on a piece of paper, and when someone says to you, wow, Adam, you're so good at this, don't go, oh, no, I'm not. Mm -hmm. You know, you want to own that. You want to say, you know, if enough people tell you you're good at something, 
you are. Yeah. You know, no one's ever going to tell me I'm a good singer or I'm a good at event planning because they would be just lying. And I know that. Right. But how do you own the things to be able did, did Was it hard for you to be able to say when people said to you, what are your strengths or what are you really good at? Was it hard for you at first to get your mind around actually getting those words to come out of your mouth? Yeah. I mean, it definitely was at, at first. But once I did it, then I then I never lacked the confidence again. You know, we talked about it earlier with the press release example, you know, just because if you're a reporter, you're getting press releases, you're getting media pitches, you might normally hit delete, but that's a skill still like you, you know what you've seen, you know what works, you know what, like what popped out to you, you know, you knew how to investigate and figure something out on the go. You know, you, 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 you just need to think about clearly like what, what did you do that, you know, that will help you down the line? Yeah. You you able to write a story about a political issue that no one knew how to figure out before, but you wrote in a way that an eight-year-old can understand. And now all of a sudden you need to do the same thing in a press release. Yeah. So so those are the things. Like once you know that you can do it, I think for me, I, I really kind of sold myself as this person who was on the other side of the desk. Yep. I know what you're trying to get that person to do. I yep. know that would, what would influence me to do it. Um, and, you know, let me help figure these things out. And I think the main thing is, is that you can always get better at all those things. Yeah. You're not just who you are. You know, you can always improve on on who you who you are. Yeah. I, you know, I love that because um, what are you uniquely qualified to do because of the seats you've sat in? And you just said, look, I'm on the other side of the desk from somebody pitching me mm-hmm. and I'm going through all these pitches going, no, 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 maybe. Yeah, yeah, yes. No, no. You understand. So you say, OK, so I could conceivably sit on the other side of the desk and help people who are pitching people like me mm-hmm. do it more effectively. So when you're if you're listening to this and you're thinking, what is it that I do? Let's say you're in purchasing. You know, um, what do vendors, you know, what kind of advice do you have for vendors mm-hmm. who are trying to sell things yeah. to purchasing agents is, is just another example. So take yourself out of the seat you sit in and figure out, because of the seat you sat in, what are the other seats you're qualified to be in as well? Yeah, yeah. and then once you're in that seat, you know, then it just kind of expands and expands. And I think that's where you you find those other opportunities that present themselves and you go after them. Yeah. You know, you take those risks. If you make the wrong decision, you find yourself out, you know, either whether it's at that company or some somewhere else. You know, you just, you need to know, you, you can't be complacent a little bit. And yeah. I do, I think with journalism too, like there's a lot of people who had to leave and then they've come back. Because they're passionate about it. And that's yeah, good for them. Sure. And I think, you know, they should be, you know, they're inspiring to me because you're doing a very important job. Um, but, you know, if if it's something where you've lost that passion for and you're never going to get it back, you know, what other things can you be passionate about? Right. Instead of trying to fake it for 30 years. Yeah. Yeah. So so you ta- you referenced, you said you went to work for Vantive, who was then bought by WorldPay, that was then bought by FIS. Well, actually, if you it's Vantive... Bought WorldPay. We just took oh, their name. Oh, sorry. We stole okay. Their oh, stole yeah. their name because it's a nice name. <laughs> well, we bought it. Yeah. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. So in in each one of those acquisitions, you could have lost your job. Mm-hmm. But what happens then is you go to the market with a completely different background mm-hmm. than when you were leaving journalism. And so in those times when you were looking around saying, "What's this going to mean for me?" Did you have a level of confidence that you'd be fine no matter what? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whether it's there or elsewhere, you know, I think that speaks a long way. I think 
even early on, you know, when I was making the transition from journalism to corporate, as soon as I discovered, you know, made the right contacts, talked to people, did interviews, you know, understood what my skills were, what I could sell myself on and what kind of job I wanted, you know, then I don't think I've lacked confidence in myself and that I would be fine, mm-hmm. you know, no matter what. And, yeah. and, and those, you know, anytime you go through uh, a merger or an acquisition, you know, sometimes you're your worst enemy. You yeah. Know, you start, oh, yeah. You start thinking about what's going to happen to me next. And sometimes it is bad and you might need to, to get out, but you also sometimes need to know when to be patient. Um, but at the end of the day, if you can think to yourself, yeah, I'll be fine no matter what. I've been, I've gotten to this point, you know, um, you know, I've built up this network, you know, I know what I can do. I have more transferable skills or more just skills in general that I had, didn't have before, you know, I will be, I'll be okay. Yeah. You know, it's, you mentioned that the, one of the biggest things that keeps people from taking the risk that you did and changing jobs and careers is lack of confidence. And when I hear you talking about, you know, I'm sitting in these nice jobs that I really like and I've done well in, that's what gives you confidence. Mm-hmm. And when you are in a job that you feel like you're faking it all day long and you're trying to get through five days to make it to the weekend and you start adding up months and years of that, your confidence takes a major hit. Mm-hmm. And so then you're, here you are in the depths feeling like, you know, I suck. And, <laughs> you know, if you... And then to say, well, you know, sure, you think you suck. How about let's try to sell yourself into another career? You can't do it. Mm-hmm. And you don't even, because you've lost any sense of the fact that you could be good at something. Right. Other than the thing you're sitting in, because you're not just feeling that hot or that much of a fit in the thing you're sitting in. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, now you've been in your lane for several years now where you've done well, you've built your confidence, you have skills. You know they're transferable, and that right there—that's the, the the foundation of you know of building a successful right. career. Yeah, and we talked about it earlier, like the low point, right? Right. So when I was at that low point that I mentioned, you know, at the crime scene, for instance, yeah, you know, I was thinking to myself, "That's it. I'm going to update my resume and I'm going to look around." You know, how many times? I mean, I think everybody has said that to themselves where I am going to look around, I'm going to update my resume. And usually you do that and you, nothing happens. Right. Exactly. But when I reach that point a week later where I'm like, okay, I'm drawing a line and I'm not applying for a job at the company that I currently work for and I'm going to find something else. That's when I started noticing, you know, actual opportunities come to the surface. Yeah. Um, cause I was, it's just like anything else. If you were going to hire me and I come in an interview and you don't feel that I'm a hundred percent passionate about the opportunity and you think, okay, Adam's great. He does all these things. He's going to do good, good work for me, but I don't, I don't know if he's completely bought in and I don't want to convince him to. Right. So it's kind of the same way where until you're a hundred percent bought in that you're going to make that change. It can be very difficult for for the right change to happen for you. Absolutely. You have to get to that point where, as we say, you're sick and tired of being sick and tired. We have people reach out to us. You know, so on our website, there's like a request for coaching form and we ask, you know, questions and blah, blah, blah. And so we'll get these requests in. And then the next thing we do is send out a link for a a phone conversation. I cannot tell you how many times 
We sent out the link and we never hear back from people because I think they had a bad day and said, I'm going to make a change. And so they sent that in. Mm -hmm. And then the next day they convinced themselves it wasn't that bad or something happened. But then a lot of times that same personal contact is a year later. You know, so we all have varying degrees of unhappiness. And you've got to you've got to know. And I'll tell people this is hard, you know, changing from what you were to what you dream to be or exploring what you might want to be next is really hard. But so is being in the wrong job. Mm -hmm. And so pick your poison. Which hard do you want to take on? Now, did you, did you, now I know it's been several years, but would you describe your process, that process is challenging for you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think you described me there. I think I might have been that guy who emailed you. In (laughs) fact, I know that I wasn't because I think my wife actually did it on my behalf. Did she really? Yeah. She's like, he's had enough, you know, like (laughs) I can't deal with him complaining about this another day. Um, because it's an invest, it's an investment. It's not just, you know, investment in kind of, you have, you have to spend money to find a new job. Like that's hard to do, you yeah. know, you know, you'll buy yourself a new television, yes, but you, you won't spend that money to like get a little bit of coaching to help yeah. you. Yeah. I don't understand yeah. it either, brother. I'm right yeah. there with you. <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of it's too, it's like when you get trained, you know, and you learn new skills, a lot of it can be like, maybe you have a great employer who invests in you and allows you to do those kinds of things. I know for the company I work for now, we do that. Um, but at the same time, you know, when you find yourself on your own, investing on yourself with, with your own money, it becomes very hard to kind of pull that trigger. It is. And you're like, in your mind, you're thinking, I have a job. You know, I don't necessarily need it. You know, do I, I don't know if I should go. And you're questioning yourself and you have a bad day and then you get that email. And um, I, I think, you know, I'm thankful that she did email you because at that point, you know, we got to meet and, and it really helped me kind of take the those first steps that I needed to take. That's funny because we do. We'll get clients where the spouse is the one that said, you do this now because I am tired of listening to you complain. Or if they just care about you, they don't want you to be unhappy yeah. at work. Yeah. And so they're saying, please spend the money and, you know, let's let's do the work because it pays back 10, 20 fold. And think about the the and think about the dividends you will re- you've already gotten back from that investment and will continue to for the next you know 20 25 years right yeah and it's never even if you are doing it you could probably get back and and uh, learn a few things oh, so i think absolutely you know it's just it's really important to know when you're when it is time to go yeah. and make a change i know like we've talked about this and you like oh you, you made this smart decision you got out when you did you recognized it um but you know, it, I mentioned layoffs started in 2007, and I didn't leave till 2014. Yeah, <laughs> so it took me a really long time. Yeah. to to get to that place, and I probably should have got there sooner. Um, but it just it just kind of continued to do what it did. You can't, yeah. But you, and and we do that. We Monday morning quarterback all the time. We all mm-hmm. do in our lives. But you can't in 2007 for some reason. You hadn't had enough yet, Mm-mm. and everybody's got that moment where. They look around and say, you know, I've had it. But then we go on to something even better. Then we start going, yeah, but I should have. I should have sooner. Well, you weren't ready sooner. Yeah. You know, and so I think, I think, and if you had done it earlier, you would have been less skilled. You know, you would have ended up in a completely different direction. So you have, don't. Yeah, have no yeah. idea. Yeah, you have no idea. Don't look in the rearview mirror because you're exactly where you're supposed to be. 
So what do you love the most about what you do now? Wow. Um, I mean, I think it's changed. You know, you ask me and ask me next year and I'll probably give you a different answer. <laughs> um, but I do think what what I really love to do is I love to sit back and I love to think about all the different opportunities where, you know, I can help promote the company and what we do, how we help the communities that we serve and um, think about all the different stories and things that I can share, you know, all the different strategy that you can develop, all the different people that you work with, you know, our current, the current company I work for is a global company and you interact also with people um, in other countries and you get to have established relationships that you could have never thought. Um, you know, you have opportunities to maybe even travel overseas, you know, different things that, you know, as a, as a local beat reporter, you would never even thought. Um, so I do think, you know, the ability to always be doing something different, always owning a strategy and, and thinking forward of different solutions that you can do, um, and, and getting opportunities to do things and learn things that, you know, you wouldn't have been able to get before, um, you know, a couple of years ago, you know, I started writing like speeches for our CEO um, and other different executives. Um, and it was mainly because we didn't have anyone who could fulfill that need. And okay. so like, you know, there's different things like that could come along um, that, you know, that are that are fantastic. Being part of um, a big company that also has grown really rapidly provides you maybe opportunities that, you know, in, in experiences for growth that you wouldn't have probably had otherwise. Just have to keep saying yes, right? Yeah. 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 So if, if there's someone listening to this right now who's in a career where they feel like this is all I know, this is all I've ever done, therefore, this is all I can ever do, I guess I just need to suck it up and keep doing it. Mm. What would you say to them? Uh, I, well, I would say, you know... I'd say that you you can you can change, you know. I I mentioned the CEO part. You know, I worked with a lot of executives, and you know, a common thing that a lot of C-suiteers would say is that with change comes opportunities. Um, and they also will say in the same breath that um, everyone loves change until they have to change themselves. Exactly. <laughs> so it's a little bit of both, where you know you have so many opportunities that you could go for whether it's probably at your company or outside your company. And you just need to make that decision. Um, and you need to make that change. And that's part of the hard part too, is making that decision to, hey, you know, this is going to be a big change. It's going to be a big risk. Um, but I do think if you find yourself, you know, and I, this maybe worked well before COVID, but let's say we're not in a COVID world. Yeah, you pull yeah. up to your uh -huh. office and you sit in your car and you, you know, are waiting in your car listening to one more song or two <laughs> because you don't want to go in the door. Right. Yeah. You need to probably you need to get your you need to get out of there. Yeah. And what I would recommend is not just try to update your resume, not just try to schedule a meeting here or there. You know, every hour pretend you have two full-time jobs and put in the time. Yeah. And and invest in in yourself and figure out what you're actually going to do next. What do you want to do? And I know it's really hard. That sometimes the hardest thing to do is when you're in that dark place to figure out 
where how to get into the light, I guess. Yeah. And and you just have to you just have to do it. And fortunately, you probably establish a lot of friends and relationships. And if you're in Cincinnati or a town like this, you know, you probably know people who have made a change like this or someone who's going to help you or, you know, maybe they have an opportunity. Um, and if you're just putting your head down doing the same job 24-7, you're not going to be happy and right. you're never going to get the change that you want. Right, right. And you're right. You were talking about sitting in your car, listening to one more song. I've um, done that quite a oh, bit. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's it's. I always say, you know, are you, are you uh, checking your temperature on Sunday, hoping hoping you don't have to go in on Monday? Yeah. You know, and we've all had those kind of jobs. And not only does that impact your Monday through Friday life, but it bleeds over into your relationships, into your health, into your just your general happiness and and you know how pleasant you are as a human being. Mm-hmm. And it it it's not going to get any better. No, it's not unless you you take action. Yeah. And and likewise, you can be in a situation where you're really happy. You love your job. You come in on Monday, new boss. Uh-oh. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you can tell you two are not going to be on the same page. So you want to pay attention to those early signals because instead of just stuffing them down and hoping it gets better, because it probably won't. It probably won't. So It yeah. might, though. It might. It might. Yeah. yeah. I mean, things can change. But you want to figure out what I always say is you got to figure out what's not working where you are. Mm-hmm. So that you can address that because it's like going to the doctor and saying, I hurt everywhere. Mm-hmm. Well, they where? My toes and my nose. You know, you can't, <laughs> I can't help you unless you can diagnose what's broken. Mm-hmm. And once you figure out, is it the job? Is it the culture? Is it um, the mission and values of the organization? Is it the leadership? A lot of times it's your direct boss. Mm-hmm. Can you fix it where you are? This is not advocating for people to quit their companies. Yeah. But can you fix it where you are? And if you can't, the example I always give is, let's say you're working for a family-owned company and you've gotten crosswise with the people whose name's on the door. No, you're probably not going to fix that where you are. Mm -hmm. Then you have to make a positive change. Right. And when you love your work, I think you can probably attest to this. Think about the Adam who was covering murders (laughs) um, and just, you know, think about the Adam now who's writing speeches for CEOs. Mm -hmm. Think about just how much better your life is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think all those things that you mentioned could be things that make you want to make that jump. Yeah. You know, and I, I and I do think, you know, occasionally the boss, the boss thing could be something, but also sometimes, you know, if you have a new boss, they could be trying to process everything too. You know, it might not necessarily be immediately you might know the answer to that, you know. Um, and like you said, it could you could go to a different team, you know, or you could try something different. Um, but I do think, you know, sometimes it's not best to jump at the first offer, first opportunity outside, you know. No, exactly. And I think, you know, just to step back and realize if you're in something that you love, because right now I feel like I do something that I love to do and I'm and I feel that I'm really good at it. And if I happen to run in a situation where something changes like that. Um, I still will love certain parts of my job no matter what. Right. You know, so how do I make sure that um, I'm working with this person differently or helping them? Because everyone's so different. Right. And they could be going through something differently too. Exactly. Maybe they don't like their boss, which is causing something to kind of go down the chain to you. Um, They feel pressure. Yeah. um, And they don't know how to handle that. Right. So help them figure out how to handle that. And if you make their life easier... 
then chances are that relationship will flip. Yep, exactly. Don't jump from one frying pan into another. So are you ready to play two questions, one deep and one shallow? You didn't tell me that there's... You told me you listened to some of the podcasts, so you should know this. Maybe you didn't (sighs) listen until the end. Okay, so and you never know what I'm going to ask. That's the best part. (laughs) Okay. Okay, ready? We'll start with the shallow one. What's the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? Oh, my gosh. I, I mean, I'm probably wearing embarrassing things all the time. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember, like, I always had this, like, T-shirt that had, you know, it was an old Houdé shirt that had holes in it. And, um, you know, walking around the neighborhood with that probably during COVID time. So you you're know. still wearing them. Yeah. Well, of course. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I can't. <laughs> you're a dad now. Yeah. Dads automatically do embarrassing yeah. things. So it's like, yeah, you're asking me, like, again, you're asking me what I do well. I think. Okay. Yeah. Okay. We're embarrassing. I'm very embarrassed. Your kids. I'm very embarrassing to the whole family. Okay, good. Well, you know it's good to know your role. Well, luckily, my daughter's three and my son's eight, so uh, at least the three-year-old just thinks I'm funny. I think the eight-year-old's starting to kind of wise up. Yeah, yeah. Embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you'll learn, you know, as you become an older parent, that one of your greatest delights in your life is embarrassing your children. Yeah, I still enjoy that. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working on. Yeah, I have one getting married in May. Oh, next May and um. I've written down when he was growing up, he used to say really funny things, and I've written them all down. I wrote them all down. And I used to jokingly say when he was little, I'm working on my rehearsal dinner material. And so now I'm like, oh, rehearsal dinner coming. Yeah. This is going to be a roast, buddy. Get ready. <laughs> yeah. I got Yeah, I got a lot of videos that I could probably yeah. share. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, good. All right. So last, final question. What's your definition of a life well-lived? Oh, wow. Um, I think life well-lived... I, 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 for me, my focus has been on my family, especially like my core group, my wife, my two kids, making sure, you know, I know this is a career podcast, but making sure your, your career doesn't overtake who you are. All the things that we talked about, even though I don't want to discredit everything we said, is meaningless if you're not looking out and spending quality time with your family. I mean, I got a, like I mentioned before, I got an eight year old and a three year old. You know, I don't know how that happened. Like they were, you know, babies two seconds ago and now they're already that way. Um, So I think, you know, making sure you're present, spending time. I know sometimes it's like kind of crazy because you're, you know, you would want everyone just to be quiet and go to bed and see. (laughs) (laughs) So you could just have a moment of silence, but at the same time, just trying to enjoy the chaos. Um, And so I guess my, my, uh, definition of a uh, of a good life is just enjoying chaos. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Well, thank you so much. Yeah. I think thank that you. our listeners are going to learn a ton about how to, you know, how to find their own version of career happiness from listening uh, to I your story. I appreciate it. It's an honor. Thank you. All right. Thanks. If you enjoyed meeting the evolved careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us and write a review. And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.